Hey there, welcome to night school. And we're still in the kitchen, but we got the gear. We got the studio gear. What counts for studio gear around here? It's in the kitchen right now. Studio, and we got the Doritas nearby. We got the, we got the studio gear, and we got the Doritas in the pantry. Don't have any Doritas. You say Dorito, I say Dorita. You know, I was walking yesterday. First of all, it's like 100 degrees again. I don't know. I haven't been paying attention to what the weather's going to be, anything like that. So you just feel it in the morning. It's kind of a good feeling. Like when you wake up in the morning and you can already feel the heat getting in. But I was on a walk yesterday, a walk, and uh, I looked like I kind of was coming around a bend. It's a, a near a busy road, but there's a bunch of bushes all around, kind of in between apartment complexes. And I just saw, I saw shit flying out of the bushes, like sticks, and I couldn't really tell what, because I couldn't, I wasn't quite there yet, but I was just like, oh no. And of course, my mind naturally goes to like, oh, it's a bum, it's somebody who's out of their mind, because usually, I mean, that's going to be the case around here. Like, if you're walking near the woods, but you're also near the mall and all these, these places where people congregate, and you just see stuff flying out of the bushes, and it's clearly not an animal. Like, you know a human being is in those bushes just throwing shit out. Like, you're going to assume it's a certain type of person. And, you know, it's funny how sensitive people are about that. You know, you think about, like, even just me saying that might bother somebody in this current climate. Like, oh, you're saying all homeless people, all houseless people just get in the bush and throw shit. No, it's one of those Venn diagrams where it's like, you know, there's a lot of people who don't do that. There's a lot of homeless people who don't just go in the bushes and you just see like almost a cartoon cloud is in there with stuff flying out of it, you know, but the people who do that are almost always homeless. So it's like they're, they're in the middle of that Venn diagram. And then the whole like homeless, homeless, houseless thing is so strange as well. Cause I mean, it truly means the same thing. And it, the way that stuff develops is like one person says, oh, I think it would be more humane to call them houseless because, you know, they can make a home wherever they go. Home is where the heart is. I mean, that's basically what that is. It's like, well, when people say homeless, they're saying that that person doesn't have a place for their heart. I mean, that's the same logic that goes into that. And I mean, I understand that point. Like I, it's one of those things where it's like, I might disagree or I might question something, but I always try to acknowledge that I understand the logic. Like I understand the logic that you shouldn't, you shouldn't look at homeless people and say like, they don't have a heart because they don't have a home. And if home is where the heart is, calling somebody homeless is to call them heartless. How do you like that beat poetry there? It was good, actually. I'm pretty impressed with myself. (laughs) Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, anyway, uh, God, um, got to start doing more beat poetry. Just ruin, just, let's just turn this show into a nosedive, make it just that much more unbearable by doing beat poetry about homelessness and heartlessness. But no, I understand the logic behind that, that like home has a certain connotation. But what I would say is like the people who say homeless, like the people that you think have an inhumane view of homeless people, like whether or not they have the right view of homeless people or not, when they say homeless, they don't mean that. 
Like, like if you really think that like your Republican enemies are like, let's call them homeless because home is where the heart is. And it also implies they're heartless. And I want nothing more than for people to think that the homeless people are heartless. You know, it's like, no matter what you think of your enemy, your political enemy, that's not what they're thinking. Like, they didn't think about it at all. They don't think about what the word homeless means or doesn't mean. And you know what? I bet a lot of homeless people don't either. And I mean, it's like this... I mean, that kind of is today in a nutshell. I feel like it's always happened, but it's, it is a product of the ultra information war, which is that like people are way more attached to placeholder words that mean the same thing. And then they assign all of this extra meaning. Cause I mean, that's what that is. I never would have thought in a, like, I mean, you know, if you listen to the show, you know how much I dissect and overanalyze. You can hear my neuroses just flowing. You know, it's like, that's what this show is for the most part. But I can tell you, I never in a million years would have ever sat and thought like, oh yeah, the word homeless implies that they can't have a home and therefore there's no place to put their heart. And I understand that nobody who who says, like, call them houseless or people without houses, not homeless. Like, I guarantee that you, the people who say that, like, probably didn't even think of the whole, like, home is where the heart is thing. But that's what they're using. I mean, that's the logic they're using. And it's like, man, you know, that's not what people are talking about. (laughs) And the fact, too, that that's actually a big thing. Like, it'd be one thing if that truly was just some obscure thought. But like I was saying, like one person said that and and it's like I was saying about the the plus size mannequins in Target. Like when I was in there and I noticed that almost all of the mannequins were plus sized and you could say like, oh, well, that that's a better representative of the American demographic because the obesity rates are, are so high. You know, you can say that and I would understand that logic, but that's not the that's not the reason why I went into Target and it was mostly plus size mannequins. I'm being respectful to them. I'm being even though these are not humans, they are humanoid shapes and I'm calling them plus sized. I'm not calling them fifth. I used to look like those plus size mannequins. So, you know, I can call them whatever I want, right? If you used to be it, you can, you still kind of, it's still part of you, right? Uh, But anyway, like when I saw those and I was like, oh, nobody knows how to put the brakes on this. Like nobody wants to be the person who says, oh, hey, you know, three fourths of our mannequins are plus sized out on the floor. You think that's enough? Nobody wants to say that because then it's like, oh, you got a problem with plus size mannequins, huh? Hey, everybody, Jerry's got a problem with the plus-size mannequins. He thinks there's too many. He doesn't want, He doesn't think there should be any plus-size mannequins. Meanwhile, it's like just being the person who says, you become the conservative. Like, Jerry could have been there from day one being like, oh, man, dude, isn't it sick, dude? Dude, isn't that fucking sick that they got a plus-size mannequin? We're like, like targets moving forward, and we're a part of it, man. We're out on the floor working while we got these, we got a plus size mannequin. Like, you know, man, it's like Jerry might have been enthusiastic from the start, but then once you start to fill the floor, as they say, with plus size mannequins, he very well might have been like, hey, hey guys, uh, you think we, that's too many? And they're like, oh, dude, Jerry's a conservative. Dude, Jerry's, Jerry's body shame, you know. That's, that's the uh, spectrum for you. It's like when you cut off part of the spectrum, that's what happens. But then, 
Also, these things, it's so hard to pump the brakes at all or even slow them down. And that's kind of what I'm getting at here with this like homeless, houseless thing. It's like somebody was like, somebody made a philosophical point on the left and they, where they said, you know, I think we should call them people without houses or, or houseless people rather than homeless. Because home has a homey feel. Home has a homey feel. And we're who's to say they can't have a homey life? just because they're on the street, you know? It, like, that's a philosophical point. That's not a practical point. That's not a realistic way to, like, reframe homelessness that will actually cause meaningful change. I mean, that's my opinion, but that's, you know, because I, I wouldn't say that I'm, like, I mean, I, I empathize with homeless people, obviously. You know, I empathize with them, but, uh, or, or sympathize, whatever one you want to use. I don't, who cares what word I use? Um, but, uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think that any kind of flippant attitude I may or may not have on a given day toward a homeless person based on their conduct or based on the vibe I get from them. Like none of that is derived from whether I call them homeless or houseless. I'm going to recognize what I recognize, whether you call it anything or not. I call it, I think I'm going to go to the other side of the street. I'm going to call it, oh, there's stuff flying out of those bushes over there, and I'm about to pass. What am I going to find? Back to the original story. I just had to go on that rant because I'm just, it's just silly because it's like, it's, it's, it's like trying to make this very like bold point and making it a platform. And I guess the last thing I was going to say about that is just that like somebody made a philosophical point about the difference between a house and a home, which is something that housewives have been doing forever. And, and then everybody was like, yeah, that's actually a good point. Let's reframe the, the homeless issue as the houseless issue and go from there. But it's like nobody was like, hey, maybe this isn't the best approach. Like maybe this isn't going to be the most effective way. And we're just going to end up scolding people for saying homeless. Because I have been I, I have actually been told by somebody I know, oh, you should you shouldn't say that. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, good luck. I'm probably more I'm at least more open to hearing what you have to say than a lot of people. And it's like, try saying that to somebody whose opinion actually matters. You know, see how it works out to scold them over some synonym. You know, you're scolding somebody over a synonym. And somebody once made a philosophical point, and it became an entire foundation for a movement. As far as like, you know, this this whole, I don't know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, but so anyway, I was wrong today or yesterday. I was wrong today, probably too. But I was wrong yesterday when I was walking and I see stuff flying out of the bushes. And I'm just like, something's going to be going on here. There's like some nesting process going on. But I, I turn the corner and then I just hear this voice, a teenager's, a teenage boy's voice. And it just says, this person will be fucking perfect. And I'm like, and I just, as I, as I round the corner, I just instinctively like, like shoot up. Cause I just hear, they're going to throw something at me. They're going to throw something at me. But that's what they said. I mean, they're throwing stuff. They're like, it was almost like they were practicing when nobody was coming. And then I just hear this voice, like, you know, it's like when somebody whispers, but they end up being louder pretty much than if they had yelled or played it cool. It's why playing it cool. Like you can steal stuff. You can do all kinds of scams if you play it cool, because the second you whisper, you might as well be whispering into a microphone. And that's what it was like. This kid says, 
this person would be fucking perfect. And right as I round the corner, I just shoot like instinctively. I didn't even think about it. I just like instinctively shot like the angriest glare up at these kids. I see these teenage boys and I said, what? What? I wish I could do it again. It was so natural. I was surprised because, you know, I've told that King of the Beach story on here where like these kids were screaming stuff down at this beach I was at. So I found that I knew where they were at. They were high up in this tree on a cliff. And so I, I quietly like climbed the cliff. I mean, it was a trail. It's not like I scaled a cliff. Uh, I, I walked this trail up like and I stood right below the tree and they didn't know I was there. And I just said, you know, it sure would be a shame if the king of the beach were to take a fall. And they went silent because the kid had been screaming, I'm the king of the beach. Get off my beach. He was really being obnoxious and I was in a bad mood, obviously, to, which is why I went to the beach to clear my mind. But so these they were like probably 19 but anyway, I, I, I kind of I gave this kid a very deliberate, quiet threat, and I scared the hell out of him because in order to get out of that tree without falling down the cliff and dying or maiming themselves, they would have had to go through me because I was standing there for a second. I didn't linger. I'm not a creep. I felt so stupidly proud of myself afterward. And then after a few minutes, I was like, I just threatened kids. Who cares if they're like 18? Who cares if they're technically adults? I'm too old to feel good about that. But anyway, this wasn't like that because that was like an ego thing. That was me like, I'm going to go up and just say something to these kids to scare them. This was just instinctive. It was like, don't fucking throw something at me. I saw them throwing shit. I heard them whispering about throwing shit at me. And I just looked up. I said, what? What? And they, they were terrified. That was the funny thing. Like, this kid looked back at me. He looked like he was the oldest of them. They were all teenagers, I would say, between, like, late junior high, early high school. They were old enough to where I felt completely fine getting mad at them. But I didn't say anything else because I could tell that me just looking at them. And, I mean, I look pretty, you know, I've got, like, my hair grown out, but I, I wear a hat over it. So it's like I have this, like, long mane, like, out the back of my hat, like a goatee, sunglasses, gym shorts. Like, I, you know, I don't know. I'm sure they didn't they didn't see me when they were plotting. That's the funny thing is they hadn't seen me yet when they when I heard because even just the language they were like this person would be fucking perfect. They like saw my they saw like my silhouette or something and then I'm just this fucking angry angry person. But no, it was funny because it's just it was so instinctive. It was just like are you really going to throw and they were throwing like sticks and heavy things, you know? It wasn't like I don't want to be hit with a ping pong ball, but it's like they were throwing pretty big things. And then the guy, he sheepishly was like, we were talking about a car. We were talking about a car. And that was a good moment for me because I realized afterward, I was like, I don't want to intervene in their what they're doing. You know, I'm not looking to intervene as far as like what those kids are doing and stop them. I just wanted to not get hit myself. Because I'm not out to be like that that old man who disrupts the boys causing trouble and is like, you got to stop. You got to stop. You know, I don't want to be that person at all. But I don't want to be the person that they think it's okay to hit with pine cones, with sticks, whatever they were throwing. And I'm glad they got the message. I'm glad those boys got that message. And it proved me wrong, too. I, I it completely, based on the neighborhood that I was in, I completely expected to see somebody making a nest, getting rid of all their trash by just throwing it out from, from the bushes into the road. I completely expected something different. Turns out it was kids plotting. 
But, you know, hey, you know, as long as they don't get fucked up, as long as they don't fuck somebody else up. I mean, if they throw stuff at a car, that's bad news. But it's not my job to intervene. My job was just to, you know, if they weren't, uh, if they didn't second guess themselves after my response, and they, they truly seemed terrified, which is why I didn't belabor the point, which I was like, okay, they, I just scared the shit out of them because they didn't expect someone like me. Not that I'm tough, but just, <laughs> you know, they, they did, I think they expected something else entirely. Uh, and that's the thing, though. I mean, it's like that time that that lady stole my ex-girlfriend's friend's wallet with a bunch of, like, hundreds of dollars in it. She's like a waitress or something, so she had, like, all these tips and stuff in her purse, and this lady stole it. And we caught the lady, and I was just screaming at her. It was when I still drank and everything. And I was just, I was just like, interrogating this lady about, like, how often she steals, like, who she steals with. I was out of my mind, but I, I actually had total control. Like, I scared my girlfriend at the time, but I had total control. Like, I knew what my boundary was, and I was totally picking my spot. Like, I wouldn't have done that to a guy who looked scary or, like, he just got out of prison. But I think... Also, just the fact that this like middle-aged lady who seemed like she had it together, she looked kind of artsy, and she had been with this guy who like he was like had gray hair, but he had black frame glasses. And I was like, "Who is he?" She's like, "He's my neighbor." And she's like, "I don't know. I just met him." And I was like, "You're lying to me. What's his name? I know you know his name." She was like, "His name's Ken. He he's my neighbor." And you just, like, decided to go out and steal together? Yeah. That is one of those weird things, though. It's like, it's one of those things, like, was it the the Hillside Strangler or Boston Strangler? I think it was the Hillside Strangler, where it was two guys. It was, like, these brothers-in-law. And they decided to start killing women together. You know, it's like that sort of thing. Or, or just anything that's, like, that taboo. I guess, I mean, the closest that I've come to it is, like, growing up and trying to get drugs or something and maybe maybe to some interests like you have some interests that aren't necessarily socially acceptable but you know you kind of you end up making friends based on those or something I don't know it's never been anything too severe I feel like it's always been pretty normal like an interest in the arts and an interest in changing my consciousness whereas some people like they've managed to find other pedophiles I mean they have their ways Audiophiles too, especially audio. That's what blows my mind is how audiophiles track each other down. It's like some sort of audiophile magnetism, you know. But hey, that's the thing: humans manage to do that, which is insane. And I don't know, you know. Obviously, with the with audiophiles, they say that they wear some kind of like symbol. They wear some kind of symbol. It's like a triangle. It's like a lightning bolt inverting on itself it's like a it's like a spiral triangle something like that that's what audiophiles use because they were saying like people who visited uh, jeffrey epperstein's uh, island they people have been seen with that like on on their walls of their house or their shirts or something i don't know i don't i don't really follow that stuff because i just believe it that stuff's so easy to me i don't even address that you know, it feels like all the shows that I listen to are always just still talking about Epstein and all that, and for good reason. But it's like I just blindly accept that elites are audiophiles. They have the money, they have the time, they have the perverse interest. I just assume that all elites are audiophiles. And the ones that aren't are an exception. And always be mindful of when somebody 
tries to emphasize the exception too much. You know, always, when someone's doing that, they usually have an agenda. It's like, yeah, that's the exception. We're talking about the majority. Talking about the majority. And someone's like, well, what about this time that it happened uh, where they, they did something else? The uh, Yeah, that's the exception or one of the exceptions. But usually you can see enough of a pattern, right? But anyway, uh, what were we on to? Audiophiles. I, I see. I just, anytime that audiophiles even come up, I see it as a public service announcement. Just because, I mean, what do you do with these guys? They're going to do it again. You can take all of it away from them. You can put them in a little town in the English countryside where they've never even had a hi-fi shop. Take away his internet access. Make sure he can't look at equipment online. Still, he'll, he will manage to find a way. He will position himself by the creek that runs through that little English country village. And he will find the best place to sit next to that creek where you can hear the full richness of that trickle, of that bubble. He will find the best place to hear things even when he doesn't have equipment. So what do you do with these guys? And chances are he'll tell a kid about it. He'll bring a kid along. If you sit right here, you will, you'll hear the little trickle, the trickle, the trickler, or the crick. You scumbag. Oh my God, you scumbag. It, it's the it's the cycle of abuse. He turned my kid into an audiophile too. He was he was an audiophile, and he turned my freaking kid into an audiophile. <sighs> no, but you know, I'm glad those kids. You know, I mean, it's not my business to intervene. That's kind of what I've realized. Unless they're doing something truly horrific. If they were hurting an animal or hurting somebody, hurting a human being, starting a fire, there's obviously limits. But just throwing stuff, I just figure, you know, it's not my job to round those boys up. Because the, the kind of guys who did that were always weird. Like, in addition to being uncool, like when I was a kid and my friends and I would be up, get, we'd get up to trouble, we'd climb things we weren't supposed to climb, we'd go places we weren't supposed to go we just do things we'd mess around we were constantly trying to find like harmless trouble to get into and every once in a while there'd be some guy some adult sometimes he would seem like a dad sometimes he would just seem like somebody dropped him from outer space but there'd always be some guy who would just be like what are you doing you know, and they'd always have a high-pitched voice. It's like, I, I talked about it a long time ago on an old night school about that high-pitched dad anger it's not necessarily from an effeminate man. It's not necessarily from a, a guy who even normally has a high-pitched voice. But there's this high-pitched dad anger where it's like he, he's not even trying. You know, because it's like younger guys will try to, like, puff themselves up and talk in this low voice like, Yo, what you doing, man? Yo, what the fuck, man? But, like, dads, like, who have are at wit's end or just men who, who think you're getting into trouble, they scream. It's like it's wraith-like. And 
what are you boys doing? You know, it's funny. It's it's hilarious to watch. But when you're a kid, it can be extremely intimidating because it's like, oh, yeah, this is the type of guy who will call the police or do, he is some sort of guy who volunteers in, with the community or, you know, there's always just something like that. It's a guy who's over involved. It is. It's, it always is a guy who just doesn't have his own shit going on. So you never want to be that guy. And I mean, I, I could never be that guy in, you know, in one part, you know, for one part, because I just remember how weird those guys seemed. They seemed like they, I mean, they might as well have been audiophiles. They might as well have been trying to abduct you. They gave across similar vibes. Because, I mean, either way, you're interfering in a kid's life. And a little bit of trouble isn't too bad. Yeah, that wraith-like anger. I mean, I'll get there. I mean, I guess I'm not that far removed. You know, I've mentioned on the show how if I if I see somebody and I, I think they're driving drunk, I will call right away. That's one thing I don't mess around with. It's like, and but even then, it's not like I'm just sitting there waiting. Oh, cops sit there with their their radar hotspots. I sit I sit outside of bars in my car, even though I'm a civilian, so I can call in drunk drivers. I'm hyper vigilant about it. No, if I'm just out and about, but it's it's that sort of rule that I feel like a lot of parents follow. At least parents who I believe are smart, where their their attitude, and I feel like this was my mom as well, which was sort of like. If I can tell something's up, it's a problem. You know, if I can tell that you're, you came home high out of your mind, if I can tell that you're drunk, if I can tell, like if your grades are dipping, like if I can tell you're getting in trouble, if you're doing it frequently and I can tell, like I can see your behavior changing, that makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like that's a good general guideline for anybody though. It's like if I notice that you're doing me wrong, then you're really doing me wrong. And it's kind of my attitude toward drunk drivers where it's like, if you truly are one of those people who's like, I I can do it. I got a high alcohol tolerance and I can just do it. And nobody can tell. Well, you probably shouldn't do it, but it's like, if nobody knows, nobody knows. If If you're driving perfectly, you're driving perfectly. But it's one of those things where if I see you weaving, if I see you going around with your headlights off, if I can tell... I'm calling you in. And and if not, I mean, I was behind a girl the other day who just waited way too long at the stoplight. And then she like turned very slowly. And I was like, she's texting, you know, and, and sure enough, I look over and she's not, she can't see anything. She's just staring down at her, her phone, her nature phone. We haven't quite figured that one out yet. Our relationship to our phones isn't quite as close as it needs to be because we can't drive and do it at the same time yet. But it just, it made me think of this time I saw a friend. I was walking and I saw this friend of mine driving many years ago. And she was just, she was driving along and she didn't notice me because, and she would have absolutely noticed me, but she had her head down texting and and it just, I don't know, something about it just kind of disgusted me. It was just like, just the sight of somebody that like I, I liked and respected with her head down, like totally oblivious, driving this car along. Like, I, I don't know, it was just, it wasn't like a, ju- a moment of judgment. It was just kind of like the visual of it. I don't know, it was just undisciplined, you know. It wasn't like something that I, I was like, oh, I, I'm going to judge her for that moment that she was texting and driving and the way she looked. 
It was just something I noticed in the moment. I was like, I kind of like shuddered. It wasn't like she disgusted me. If I need to like turn this into a disclaimer, I will, but if I need to explain it, I will, but I'm just the description alone, just seeing somebody, you know, like completely lost in their phone while they're driving just wasn't a good visual, but clearly I am one of those guys. Clearly I am one of those wraith-like, high-pitched, angry dads who's just like, oh, she was texted and dry. I was disgusted. I was disgusted. Oh, you were driving drunk? Oh, my God. I would have called you in. I would have called you right in. Oh, you were throwing sticks? Oh, you think you're going to throw sticks at me? We all get there. That is a nice thing, though. Is like these kids are probably close to twenty years younger than I was, or than I am. And you know, it is nice to be at a point in your life where it's like, yeah, at thirty-five years old, being in my generation, you don't feel particularly old, unless maybe you've started a family or gone the usual route. But it's definitely harder and harder to feel old in your thirties these days. And it was a good reminder, though, that it's like, oh, yeah, I have 20 years on those kids. I scared them. It is nice to know that, like, I'm at an age, I'm at, like, this this right age where I'm not a peer of theirs. I'm obviously a generation older. And my anger is not something they want to invite. It is kind of nice to be at that age. I mean... I still remember being like in my early 20s and being at the grocery store and this mom said to her kid, get out of the man's way. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like that mom probably doesn't look at me and think like, oh, he's a man. But still, like for telling her kid to get out of someone's way, it's like get out of the man's way. I was like, whoa, a rite of passage in the grocery store. The first time that a mom refers to you as a man to her child. I feel like it's another rite of passage. The first time that you terrify a group of troublemakers, teenage troublemakers, TDs, TTs, TDs. Hey, hey, is that a couple of TDs? Oh, there's four of you TDs up in those woods? You were going to throw that at me? You are going to fucking throw that at me? Um, no, it's too easy to be a psycho. Your disinterested anger is all you need in that situation. Your disinterested anger when Tina TDs when when TDs bother you. Your disinterested anger will go a long way. You can use that to go a long way to make your point known. Because, like I said, it wasn't even the the guys when I was growing up, like the guys who got mad at us for causing trouble. It wasn't even just that they were weird or obnoxious or embarrassing. It was also that we usually made fun of them. Like, we usually pulled that situation apart and pulled it out and turned it into us just blatantly making fun of them. Like, when we when we reached a certain age and we realized that those guys couldn't do anything, like, the only thing they could do is physically assault us, and my friends would just probably bash the guy's brains in with their skateboard, you know? It's like, once we realized, oh, this guy is actually just some pointless security guard in his own mind He's saving society by telling teenagers not to do what they want to do. But when we realized that it was totally meaningless and the guy could do nothing, we weren't in school. 
Because it's the same sort of feeling, like when a guy like that like approaches you, you're like, oh god, the, I got to go to the principal's office. I got to go to the, you know, you got detention. This, but then you realize, oh, this guy at the park can't do anything, and we can just insult him. And we did that a couple times. There was this dad. I used to, I I stopped skateboarding probably after like a year of trying, not trying. I would say I, I really didn't even try. But all my friends became, you know, they were all like sponsored by the local shops and stuff later on. And so just we would hang out at the skate park. If I wanted to meet up with them, I would go to the skate park in high school. And one time there was this dad and this kind of yuppie mom. It was like one of those dads where like he had a young guy's haircut. He had like a Carson Daly haircut, like combed forward in the in the back and spiked in the front. And he was wearing one of those kind of stylish, expensive leather jackets. Not like a biker leather jacket, but just smooth leather. Smooth leather with no zippers, just pockets and like jeans. You know, it was that sort of look the guys had, like yuppie men had at that point. And he had a wife who, you know, whatever she was. And a friend of mine, like a, a kid from school, like mentioned to the, this little kid, like not to keep waxing the curb or the coping, whatever they call it. Like he just said, stop waxing the coping. Like it's already good. You don't want it to be too smooth. And it was one of those classic moments because the, the mom, the, the kid's mom goes, what did you just say to my son? What did you just say? Don't tell my kid what to do. And it was like he was just giving the kid a freaking guideline that everybody should follow if they're going to use this park. Like don't put too much wax on the coping. I don't even skateboard, and I know that, you little freaking fool. I should have stepped in. I should have, like, been the security guard. I should have said something to the mom. No, I just watched. It's one of those moments that was so fascinating. But it was like the food chain or something, because it's like he told the little kid not to do that. The mom started yelling at this kid I knew. She was like, don't you ever. And they went back and forth, because this kid, he was one of those kids who will talk shit. He was one of those kids, he was like, he was probably like 14 or 15, maybe. And he was already drinking, he was already getting into trouble, sneaking out all the time. And he started talking shit right back to her, which you love to see. You love to see that. Like, this mom just thinks, like, it's her first kid, and like, somebody told my kid not to do something. And then the kid that you just are taking it out on just starts ripping you apart. And so they were going back and forth. And this guy was off to the side, like talking to somebody. And then he comes in and he goes, what did you say to my wife? You know, so it became this like food chain, like chain reaction where it's like, it goes from the kid to the mom, to the husband. And they're all just going like, you're messing with my family. You know, it was amazing. And then they go back and forth. And like the kid though, the kid that I knew and like my friends and I are just watching, but the kid that I knew, he started going at it with the dad. Like this kid had balls. Like he was this, he kind of looked like a chipmunk. He, he was kind of this chubby short kid, which made it even better. It wasn't like he was some big brawny, you know, alpha male or anything. Like he was just this kid with a, like this little punk kid with a bad attitude who looked like, he, he truly looked like the physical embodiment of uh, like rescue rangers, Chip and Dale. He had that kind of build and that kind of thing, except with this like Bart Simpson attitude. Like, he really did have this Bart Simpson sort of thing going on. Uh, <laughs> and, like, that's the thing people don't realize is it's, like, they're so used to, like, the Bart Simpson archetype. Like, Bart Simpson was actually trying to represent a certain type of kid. 
and like back before the Simpsons were just ingrained in everything. I mean, they already kind of were back then, but like you really did meet kids who like skateboarded and had that exact sort of attitude, but a little more vicious. And, and so this dad though, is like going back and forth with this kid, Colin was his name. And, uh, (laughs) the, the wife just starts like telling her husband to like, she's like, Jude, his name was Jude, which was funny. The story of Colin, the parable of Colin and Jude, but like the fact Jude was like the perfect douchebag name for this guy, like with his like fancy designer leather jacket, his his hair, like because he was probably forty. You know, maybe he was my age now. Maybe he was thirty-five, but he was he was like thirty-five, forty. You know, he was significantly older than we were. And then he just like there was a sort of moment where like he and this kid that I knew were going back and forth. And then like, there was just a moment of silence. There was a pregnant pause. And then this guy, Jude, I'll never forget his name. He just looks at Colin and he goes, yeah, well you're fat. Like he goes into the ad hominem and it was just, it was beautiful. It was because it was like, that was the moment that he lost it. But then you could see that Colin, this tough little kid, you could see that that actually hurt his feelings. Like you could actually tell, and then it kind of died out from there, but it was like, they left, they stormed away from the skate park. We were just dying. We were, we loved it. Like those of us who just watched it, that's like, you pay money to go to a movie. We would have paid three times as much to see that, but you can't pay for that. You can't pay for those fucking perfect interactions. Yeah. Well, you're fat. And there was, oh, the vitriol in his voice. Something else, like the high-pitched dad anger came out. Because he was trying to play it cool. He was trying to be like, I'm still kind of young, and you know what? Like, But I have a wife and a kid, and if you're going to talk to my wife and kid, you're going to have to talk to me. But then the high-pitched dad anger, that might have been his rite of passage. That might have been Jude's rite. That's what we call Jude's rite of passage, when the the first moment of dad anger came out out of him because a fat little kid with a skateboard told his kid not to do something which set off a, a domino's chain reaction a domino chain reaction with his wife and him and and then what was funny too is like we went over by the grocery store and they were like going into their car but i have to say colin he had a little bit of a tear in his eye and god bless him i mean he's he was in an intense situation because you could tell this dad wanted to lunge at him. He practically was lunging. His wife, because his wife went from being the instigator to being like, Jude, Jude, it's okay. Jude, Jude. You know, it was this fucking obnoxious, like, human drama, but it was wonderful. But you could tell it actually, Colin just got screamed, you're fat. You know, it's like that, it, you know, he's not that tough. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of him for it. He's just... You know, it was an it was an intense situation. It was a real standoff. Like, I hope that I'm properly conveying it because it was an intense moment. You know, the only thing that could have made it more intense was physical violence. But we saw them getting in their car, like loading all their. They had like three kids. It turns out they had like a bunch of kids. So this wasn't even their first kid. They had like an older kid too. Uh, but uh, this wasn't. He? I I know this family. I know they got an older kid. It, 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 can you imagine what they were like with him? Um, but we started screaming things across the parking lot, and we couldn't even hear each other. But they were like their kids even got into it. It was like truly tribal. It, it was truly tribal. Another TT. It was TD. TD is going to be any any kind of thing that you can use two T's for. Teenage troublemakers. TD. Truly tribal. TD. 
let's just shorten everything we can down to that. Um, but, you know, it was just, it was very tribal where like this family was now against all of us and we were all against them and we were yelling things across the parking lot. And because they were leaving and we were on the other side of the parking lot, we were being, we were all participating. We were all being that much more savage. It was just only insults. But the thing is, the difference is like, I have a fun memory. You know, I have a funny memory of this time that we were young teenagers in this verbal altercation with this man and his family. Meanwhile, that guy had to go home and think about the fact that not only did he get in a fight with a bunch of teenagers, but he didn't win. Maybe, and he probably told himself he did. He's like, I, sh- I called him fat. I called that kid Colin fat. <laughs> Uh, but he still, he had to go home and like, if he still remembers that he has to remember the fact that he got in an altercation at a skate park with a bunch of kids who are like 20 years younger than him, 25 younger, 25 years younger than him. So you never want to become that guy. You know, if you can get away with just, well, I mean, and just uh, if, if that guy had done what I did, if he had been more like me and he just looked at us and he said, what, what? We probably would have been that much more terrified if the only thing he did, the only aggressive thing Jude did is just look at us harshly and say, what? And then go back to like tending to his affairs. He would have won. Because at some point a man does have to assert to teenagers, don't fuck with me. I know you like to fuck with people because you're a teenage boy. Don't fuck with me. And you have to do it in the simplest and most effective possible way which is why instinct should rule. Your instinct should rule in that moment. I'll be teaching classes about this, about if you come across some teenies, some teenage troublemakers, here's what you got to do. Don't think. Channel everything through your eyes. Make sure they see it in your eyes. Make sure they hear it in your voice. Use your real voice. Don't let it get too high-pitched. Don't let them suck you in. They don't know what you're capable of. And that, that, that was the whole reason I brought up the lady who stole the wallet and I confronted her. Is I kept saying to her, you don't know what the people... You don't, you don't know the people you're stealing from. You have no idea who they are and what they're capable of. You're gambling. You have no idea. You're going to steal the wrong person's wallet. And so I was trying to tell her, like, if you keep doing this, you're going to eventually steal the wrong person's wallet and they're going to crack you. And I wanted to seem like I was that person in that moment, which is why my girlfriend got so scared. I wasn't going to hit a lady, man. I wasn't going to hit anybody. I'm not a violent person. I have no record of violence. It was a little bit of theater from me. It was a little bit of drunk theater. And I swear by that. I've been out of control before, but I was not out of control. I was right up to the edge, though. But I kept saying to that lady, I was like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, and she was distraught. And so, I mean, I don't feel great about it, but I, I wanted to, she stole like almost $300 out of this girl's wallet who works two jobs. Like, she's like a waitress and a bartender. And so it's like, she's this young girl and she stole like almost 300 bucks from that girl. Whatever it was, 200, 300 bucks. It was in the hundreds. And I just wanted to scare that lady so she never fucks with people again. And I, don't, I doubt it worked. 
but I bet it was probably one of the more intense confrontations she's had, and she probably didn't know. I mean, the lady was crying as I was screaming at her. Yeah, I didn't. And the thing is, too, I learned a lot about interrogation in that moment where it's like the timing and rhythm of it because I didn't give her a chance. Like she initially she would try to lie and I would before I I didn't give her a chance to lie. Like when I when I kind of like got onto a beat where I wanted an answer, I would ask her a question and then I would before she could even think I would be asking her to to say something else. I would be demanding another question. So it's like, how do you know him? She's like, I don't know him. I know you know him. What's his name? Uh, Ken, Ray. How do you know him? I don't, I don't know. I just met him randomly. No, how, how do you know him? He's my neighbor. You know, it's like, you got to be careful. Somebody <laughs> isn't too scared and they just like give you false information to get out of it. But you got to like, it, it, you get a feel for it. Like that was a very fascinating situation for me because it's like I learned how to like st- you got to like get in the cracks of their brain before they can come up with the next lie. It's like you got to be quick and you got to be ready for them to go to another thought or or you got to be you got to jam the gears of their brain. But anyway, that was my whole point to her is just like you don't know like you have no idea what the person you're messing with is capable of, which is a a guideline I use. I mean, there are times when I want to get mad. There are times that I even want to fuck with people. But one of the things that keeps me in line is just that I never know who the person is that I'm going to be dealing with. It's the reason I stopped giving people the middle finger, actually. I used to give people the middle finger when I drove. You know, I've mentioned on here how I feel about traffic and turn signals. I would give people the finger sometimes for not using a turn signal. I really am that 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 wraith-like dad anger. I am that. I truly am that because I would give people the finger for not using their turn signals. I would... I, you know, and at some point, like there was this one time where I'd already kind of started to think, you know, I, there's certain guys that you don't want to give the middle finger to because they'll kill you. And then I don't want to be that guy who only gives the middle finger to old ladies because then I'll just be picking my spots. It's easy. I was like, how about if I just don't use the middle finger? What could it possibly do for me to give people the middle finger? And then there was this time that like my girlfriend way back when and I were in the car and like we uh, it was icy and we were at the mall. So it's just perfect, like an icy mall parking lot. And I I, it was my turn as as far as I'm concerned. I'm sticking by my story that it was my turn. But it was it was one of those where there's like not just it's not just a four way stop. It's like a, a seven way stop because you have turn lanes. You know, it's just a mess. It's just a complete mess. And it was icy out and everybody was at the mall for Christmas shopping. And so I started to go because I was like, it's my freaking turn. And this guy decided that he was turning in front of me then. I couldn't stop my car because of the ice. So my car was skidding along and he wasn't going to stop. And my girlfriend and like his wife. So me and this guy are both in our cars. He's in a truck. And both of our like side companion women are giving each other this like, awful middle finger like I looked over and my girlfriend had like her teeth were gritted and her middle fingers were up and I looked up and it was in slow motion because we were in we were traveling we were skidding very slowly in ice and I look up and I see this guy's wife or his girlfriend who's older like doing the same exact thing like she has her middle fingers up and I was just like fuck I can never be in this situation again and I told like I said afterward I was like 
if you're if you're in my car, you, you can't do the middle fingers, you know, because that that I'm gonna be the one who has to deal with it one way or another, you know. It's I we just can't do that, you know. But it was fucking insane. I, after that, that was I always think back about that experience because I'm like, yeah, I don't need to give the middle finger. So you know that guides me in my life. Like I don't want to mess with somebody, even if I feel it's justified, because you just don't know what they're capable of. And at some point, you have to stand up for yourself, of course. But yeah, you just don't know. And uh, so it's like, you just you never want to draw it out longer than it needs to go. You never want to make a bigger thing of it than it already is. And, you know, you, with these kids yesterday, <laughs> the, the whole reason I'm, I'm talking today about these boys is hopefully they gave it a, a second thought after they saw me. You know, hopefully they gave it a second thought because the kid who came up with some lousy excuse after I confronted him, I mean, I didn't even, con- the thing is, I didn't even confront them. It was totally nonchalant. I never even broke my stride. I never stopped. I just looked fiercely at him and said, what, what? Like he was stammering. He was stuttering. I don't, he's a boy. I take no pride in the fact that I scared a boy, but they're fucking with people. And if it gave him second thought, because that's something you shouldn't do. You should never throw things at people. I should have hung around and lectured him. You should never throw things at people. No, you shouldn't. That's something you shouldn't do. I can see the, the, the fun in it. And something to always be scared of is when somebody's doing something by themselves. Like when somebody's fucking with people by themselves, steer really clear of that person. Because that person's a psycho. Like, if you see a kid in the woods and he's, like, throwing things at people all by himself, that kid's a psycho. Same with, like, if somebody screams something at you from their car and they're by themselves, that person's a psycho. Because most teenage boys, for example, like, they catcall girls. Men catcall girls. That's real. It actually does happen. Women aren't making that up. Men do scream things at women. But the, what they do to other men is is unintelligible. It's like pure animal screams. I was on the phone with Miles the other night, and someone drove by, and they let out just this shriek, and he was like, what the hell was that? And I was like, somebody was yelling at me. Like, with, with men, they, it's like an animal shriek. But I always feel less threatened by it when it's like a carload of guys. Because, yeah, if it's really bad and, like, they're looking for a fight, that's one thing. But for the most part, they're just trying to entertain each other. And it pisses me off because it's like, mind your own business. Don't shriek at me. I'm just walking. But I also understand it because my friends and I would yell stuff from our cars. But when you do that alone, you're a psycho. Like, if you drive around screaming things at people or trying to fuck with people, it's like the idea of doing a prank that only you know about. Like, that's either done because it's like retaliation or revenge or some sort of aggressive act against your roommate. But it's like when you do a prank just for entertainment and only you are going to know about it. That's sick. Same thing if you've ever screamed something at somebody from a car. Like, it's one thing if you got if you let road rage get ahead of you. But if you've ever, like, screamed at a woman or screamed at a guy tried to scare him like when he's walking down the street and you're by yourself that is psychotic so 
So it's like if you see a group of boys getting into trouble, just at least they're together and they can egg each other on and all that. But at least they're doing it for approval and they're doing it to kind of push each other. At least that's a, that's a good thing. As long as they don't go too far with it, it's a good thing when they do that. But if it's a kid who's alone, because sometimes that'll happen. Like there was a kid who used to live in this neighborhood and he would always be getting up to weird shit in the woods alone. And he was always by him. He was little too. He was like eight or nine years old. And his parents just let him. Actually, I, I screamed at that kid once because he was throwing poppets at cars. It was around the 4th of July. And he did a poor job of hiding. And I saw him with a poppet in his hand. And he threw one out as I passed. And he just missed my car. Like, I doubt that would even do anything. But I got out and it was like, that was probably a rite of passage for me too. The first time yelling at a kid. Cause I was like, don't ever do that. And I already knew that he was messed up. I already knew that he had some, something going on. I don't know what psychopathy. Like he took his little brother one time into the woods behind the houses here. And his little brother was like barely more than a baby. And he just left his brother in there and the kid was crying. And so he, he was sick. It was like the good son or something. It was like the, the, just the completely rotten kid. Like, what do you do with a kid like that? He's like an audiophile. What do you do with them? But yeah, I I yelled at that kid, but that he would be doing these things alone was the thing. He would be, he messed with the sprinklers. Like my mom had sprinklers and he would, he broke one of them. You'd see him going around with like a big stick and you're just like, you know, he doesn't need that. It's just every, all of his weird little mischief who's always alone. And that to me is a huge red flag where it's like he's doing disturbing shit for his own entertainment, for his own sake. Because what I always got out of committing, you know, it's like you got to break some rules on your own. And it's not, I'm not even saying it's peer pressure either. It's just, it's more satisfying to do these things. It's more satisfying to do a prank or a prank phone call or throw something, you know, it's, it's much easier to cause trouble, or it's, it's much more satisfying to cause trouble when you get the respect and appreciation of your peers, because that's a big part of it. And my group of friends, like if you showed yourself to be a snitch, if you showed yourself to be unwilling to do cool things, including getting into trouble, like we wouldn't really want much to do with you. But we didn't want much to do with you, too, if you were a psycho. Like, we had a couple friends who ended up like that, and we stopped hanging out with them because they were the kind of kids who would do things on their own. Whereas, like, at least with us, like, we were all individuals, you know. We all we all prided ourselves, you know, on our own individuality and, and everything. But a huge component of getting into trouble was showing each other that it's possible. You're breaking these boundaries, you know, the adults in society have imposed, imposed these boundaries. You're not supposed to go there. You're not supposed to climb there. You're not supposed to do this. And so you explore it. I mean, it's, it, it, and it, that causes a consciousness shift. And you're not thinking that as a kid, but it does. Because you realize that, oh, a, a boundary has been broken. It's like finding a secret area in a video game. And it's especially interesting if it causes no real damage And you don't get in trouble because you realize, oh, this didn't actually harm anything. And I've told the story on here about how my best friend made up a story about this kid from our group of friends throwing a rock and causing a dent in this car across the street from the school. 
and there was a dent in the car. And this wasn't my friend being a snitch. He, I, he's got a great mind and he was trying to like understand like how you could manipulate reality. And so he made up the fact that this kid threw a rock. All five of us got detention. I think everybody except for, I think it was like six of us, seven of us actually. And everybody except for my best friend who made up the lie, everybody except for him and I believed it. Like I knew that he lied, but you know what? I didn't say anything. I didn't step up and say, nobody threw that rock. That dent was already there. And you know what the lady, like the lady whose car it was, was a mom of a kid from our school. And she said, oh, you know, we had to write apology letters to her. And she was like, oh, you don't need to pay for it or anything. Because she knew. She was a wino. Like, I knew the family. She was a wino. She probably backed into a pole when she was, like, going to the store to get wine. She knew that she caused that dent. And then we had to write these fake fucking apology letters. We had to do a day of detention. Like, six or seven boys. Some of them were crying. My redneck friend, who's a tough kid, was crying because he'd never gotten detention before. I hadn't either. But you know what? I didn't step up. Like I saw this whole thing play out and I didn't step up because it was a form of causing trouble. And it was a small price to pay to learn how easily manipulated reality can be. And that kid is now a psychologist. My friend is now a psychologist. So of course he is. You know, of course he wanted to figure that stuff out. But he, he, he can't, he, and he even told me about the plot. You know, he told me before he did it, he's like, I'm going to tell the teacher that he did this. And he was actually trying to get that kid in trouble. It's fucked up, but he was just, I, I know this kid. He was, I did all kinds of things with this kid. He was not a snitch. He was the instigator in a lot of the trouble. This was another form of causing trouble, but he wanted to see what would happen. What happened is we all got in trouble for something that never happened. We served a punishment and we had to write apology letters. People cried and every single kid except for me and him believed that we had done it. That is unreal. Like, truly, that is unreal. Because we didn't do it. <laughs> so it, it, it actually didn't happen. It wasn't real. Yet everybody believed it did. And going through that as a kid, like writing that apology letter, I remember they brought us out into these cubbies that were out in the hallway. They were like in this kind of, it was an area between multiple classrooms where like they could take kids for private meetings. And they took us back there and they told us kind of what to write. I'm very sorry that we threw the walk into the cow, the cow. You know, that's basically what we had to write. And I was like, this is all theater. This is all fake. And everybody believes it except for my friend who made it up and me who he told about the plot and, and who it trusts his own mind enough to know that that rock didn't hit the car. But you know what the thing was is we were throwing rocks. We were throwing rocks into the, there's kind of an alleyway behind the school. And so we were throwing rocks there. And that's what gave my friend the idea because he was, he was doing an equation in his head. He saw that there was a car with a dent in it and he saw that we were throwing rocks and he was like, let's see what I can do with this. Let me see how I can sew up a good conspiracy theory. And he sewed up a damn good one because we all got in trouble. And so trouble for us wasn't just actual getting into trouble, throwing rocks. Cause yeah, we weren't supposed to throw rocks, but you know, we would, uh, my neighbor kid and I threw rocks through an abandoned house's windows. Like this old guy had died in his house. He got, he electrocuted himself. 
his name was Otto, O-T-T-O, and he died in his house, and it was kind of this, I don't know, his house got abandoned, nobody was taking care of it, so one day we just started grabbing chunks of concrete and rocks and just throwing them through the windows, just smashing the windows. This guy, a high-pitched dad anger wraith, came out of a nearby house who we didn't know. He's like, what are you doing? Oh, my God. What are you doing? You know, it was like this guy who has no investment in this house, screaming at these little kids for throwing rocks. Like, I, I could understand if they were going to do something with the house, but guess what? A few months later, they tore the house down. They rebuilt a brand-new house. We were just doing their job for them, and we got in trouble. And that was another lesson in how fucking fake things are. That was another lesson in the fact that reality isn't necessarily the thing that you're experiencing at any given moment. Because we had to pay for the windows to be replaced. Our parents had to pay. Like, none of us got in that much trouble because we were... You know, I think we did a good job. It's like, once again, we were all pretty good at not getting on our parents' radar. Like, for the most part, like in this case, the only reason we got on our parents' radar is because we broke windows and a a neighbor found out. But it was one of those things where it was like, you made us replace the windows as this kind of sick punishment. There's something perverse about that, that they made us replace the windows that... I would say less than a year, maybe three months. I don't know what it was, but it was very soon after that they tore that house down. They were planning to tear it down anyway. It was falling apart. It was a really old house that hadn't been taken care of. Obviously, it electrocuted a man to death. Maybe we were we were just punishing the house for killing that old man. Hey, hey, neighbor, we're just punishing the house. What do you mean? This house killed that old man. And we thought to get a little bit of revenge, we'd break all the windows out. And they tear it down. You serve a detention and have to write an apology letter for a dent that you and your friends didn't create, but one of your friends invented. And everybody believed it. And then you throw rocks through the windows of an abandoned house. They make your family pay to replace the windows in the house. And then they tear it down and build a a fancy new house. I thank them for these lessons. You know, I appreciate those lessons because they defy reality. They defy everything. I don't want to be the person who makes people do that. I don't want to be the person who teaches people lessons in how quickly reality can be abandoned. However, you know, I have to appreciate the fact that I went through those experiences. I don't want to be the guy who runs into the bushes after those kids screaming at them yesterday. But I do want to give them a heads up that, hey, hey, kids, the guy that you're going to throw that at might be the same kind of guy who would have no problem knocking every tooth out of your little 16-year-old head. Those kids need to understand that because that's, you know, part of being a kid and for that matter, being part of an being part of adulthood is, you know, you do want to continually mess with your reality just a little bit. You never want to go too far with it, but you kind of do want to go up to the edge. And so I'll never mess with kids causing trouble. 
They have to cross a certain line. I just don't want them to commit trouble at my expense. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free Oh, Terry.